For over a decade, I shopped and worked at my local comic shop. One of the best parts about hanging out there was comparing notes on what I was reading with folks who shared my passion for comics. My comic shop is gone now, but we can still hold on to the magic of that in-store discussion. This is My Comic Shop Book Club. Welcome to My Comic Shop Book Club. I'm your host, Anthony Desiato. Joining me to discuss the Greg Rucka run on Detective Comics is the Dark Knight of Long Island, Scott Honig. <laughs> uh, thanks, Anthony, for having me back. This is, uh, is going to be a good time. Yes, uh, I've been looking forward to this, and I'm especially curious to hear your take because we purposely did not compare notes at all uh, before we sat down to record. And uh, I know that this episode was born out of another podcast that we did a little while back where we talked about a two-part crossover between Detective Comics and uh, Superman during the Loeb run. And when we did that episode, I just assumed you had read the Rucka run on Detective because I know you like No Man's Land and you like Rucka. And I was like, oh, well, he must have read this. And when you said you didn't, that sparked this, uh, this episode. And so I do feel a little bit of personal responsibility and, and leading up to this, I'm like, well, I hope he liked it. <laughs> so I'm very curious, uh, what was your take on, on this run of Detective Comics? Well, let me start by saying that I do hold you personally responsible <laughs> for my enjoyment of this run. Um, and it really does. I want to remind you too, it came out of really two different places because the very first episode that I recorded with you was on Batman No Man's Land. Mm -hmm. um, and then we did the, the two-part crossover in the middle of this run. And now uh, I finally got to read the whole thing. Um, so I will start by saying thank you. Thank you for making me read this uh, because I don't know that I would have gotten around to it otherwise, to be honest with you. Um, I, I really enjoyed it. I, I, it was not just an, an, an escape from, uh, from my regular life over the last couple of weeks, but you know, there was some, some Batman storytelling in here that I haven't really seen before. Um, and to see what a writer who I, deeply deeply respect uh like greg rucka uh, could do with with this material was an absolute absolute treat so i'm really really excited to get to talk about it with you oh good i'm really glad to hear that i'm glad you enjoyed it uh i very much enjoyed my reread um you know i read this as as we had talked about previously i got into batman with no man's land like during the final month literally the last month of no man's land <laughs> uh the cover place to enter yeah you know, I had seen the covers, you know, on the stands all year. I've been reading articles in Wizard Magazine. And finally, at the end of that year, the end of that storyline, I was like, all right. And uh, so I went back and that was one of my early like back issue quests. And I tracked down all of No Man's Land. And, you know, Greg Rucka came in towards the end of that. And he wrote a few of the final like major storylines there. And I really liked what he did. And I stayed on as a regular reader of the Bat books following No Man's Land. And so I read his detective comics as it was coming out. Uh, but it had been years since I went back, and uh, I really enjoyed my reread. Uh, just to give people the issue numbers, we're talking about Detective Comics 742 through um, 765. Um, we're, we were skipping uh, that crossover with the issue of Superman, because we covered that on another episode on my Patreon page. And we're also skipping the... Um, for this episode, we're skipping the issue that was part of the Officer Down crossover because we're going to do a Patreon bonus episode on that. Um, it, and we also stopped uh, just short of the Bruce Wayne murderer and Bruce Wayne fugitive crossovers. And this was all by design because I really thought it would, 
I, I thought it would be most enjoyable and most interesting for our discussion mm-hmm. to like really focus on that core run that he wrote kind of away from the crossovers and other stuff that was going on at the time. Um, but just as a quick side note, had you ever read uh, Fugitive and Murderer? I still haven't. Okay. It's the sort of thing, you know, there's kind of a reason we stopped where, where we did. I mean, they weren't bad, but, you know, like a lot of crossover stories that span multiple titles, you know, some parts are stronger than others. I think the overall ideas were really cool. Um, and there were definitely some standout issues, but, you know, and I was thinking about, you know, a Batman episode and, and revisiting this period of time, this was really what I went to. And I had been meaning to go back to this for a while. Uh, so yeah, so that's what we read and we'll be <laughs> discussing in this episode. I, I know you said you had notes. Uh, three pages of notes. Three pages. I think I should just let you run with this. And you, I mean, you know, I'm, I, cause I want to honestly, like, I want to make sure that, uh, that we talk about what, what you want to talk about. What's your first note on there? Well, uh, so I want to kind of sort of mention my, my overall impression, which was, especially listening to, to you talk about, you know, why you chose this particular sort of finite, uh, run, there seemed to me to be a very singular vision, both in terms of the writing and in terms of the art style for these, what it, what, what I ended up having is two, two trade paperbacks, new Gotham volume one and new Gotham volume two. Yes. I th- thank you for mentioning that. I meant to, uh, yeah. The, so the, everything that we're talking about is, has recently been re- collected in new editions from DC, uh, new Gotham volume one, new Gotham volume two. Uh, and they are also available digitally on the DC app as well. Yeah. So, you know, getting to, to have them in that, in that really nice, neat package um, with all the stories being written by, by Greg Rucka, uh, and there is a slightly uh, rotating cast of, of artists, but the majority of it is drawn by Sean Martinborough. Um, but what unifies it all is the coloring by Wildstorm Effects, because they went for this, like, dual-color... Uh, approach um, that it's moody, it's edgy, it's different. Uh, it was really unlike anything I'd, I'd ever seen before in comics. I mean, I've seen, you know, a scene here or an issue there that may have, you know, taken uh, uh, this kind of style, but never a run like this. And to see it, you know, drawn out like that, I, I just, I thought it was such a really great way to visually unify stories that, in some ways spread out into different areas of, of Batman's universe. But the other thing that, that unified them for me was, um, was the, the very clear focus on the GCPD. Um, you can really tell that this was very much a precursor to what would become Gotham central a couple of years later, another run that I absolutely adore. Um, so, you know, getting to see him do more like, police procedural stuff a little bit lighter on the super villainy and a little bit heavier on more of the the, the ground level you know police and, and crime stories and uh that's what that's what really uh inured me to this run overall awesome yeah i would agree i mean that the, the, you know those aspects that you discussed you know definitely um that's always how i remember the run and and both of those things really stood out to me in in my reread and 
Yeah, I mean, like for fans of Gotham Central, and I, I mean, I, man, I loved Gotham Central as it was coming up. That'll be another episode down the line, um, but that's a larger project, and I want to make sure I devote the time to it that that it deserves. But I mean, Gotham Central is one of my all-time favorites, and uh, like you said, this is very much laying the groundwork for what would become Gotham Central. Like you said, the GCPD, the cast of detectives, um, you know, familiar faces like Montoya and and Harvey Bullock and Gordon, but like plenty of new faces as well. Uh, most of whom, you know, made the made the jump over to Gotham Central. And so it's like, if you like Gotham Central, you definitely need to read this. Um, and if, I don't know, if anyone didn't like Gotham Central because they felt like there wasn't enough Batman, I think this run is actually a really nice balance because you get the detective focus, you get the GCPD setting, but you, there's definitely way more Batman. It's still a Batman book at the end of the day. Absolutely. No, no. You never lose sight of the fact that this is, uh, a, that these are Batman-centered stories. But Rucka's not afraid to take very long breaks on Bruce Wayne and Batman stories to, to develop characters who the audience doesn't know as well. You know, I didn't, I, you know, until I read Gotham Central, I didn't know Crispus Allen. Um, and then getting to see him here in some of his earlier appearances was such a treat because now I feel like when I go back eventually to reread Gotham Central, I'll have a much better understanding of who he is, what he wants and what he's doing in that book. So again, you know, that, that interconnectedness, you know, being able to almost like slot this into my, to my Batman um, continuity. I, and I know, you know, collectors and readers, like we're sort of freaks for continuity, but, but there is that, that like pleasure spot that it hits when you're like, well, I read No Man's Land and I read Gotham Central and this slots so perfectly right in between them. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, and so, yeah, this definitely gives you a lot of the groundwork for, uh, for Gotham Central. And it really, uh, it pays off a lot of the the beats and themes of No Man's Land. I mean, you know, a, a major part, especially the the early uh, portion of this run, uh, you know, focuses on the tension between uh, those who left Gotham during No Man's Land and those who stayed. And I remember you, you sent me a message as you were reading it, right? I did. <laughs> yeah, there, there was a reference. I think it was. I think the first time I saw it was a uh, was like written as graffiti on the side of like a water tower, and it said something about disease or something like D E E Z E E. And I went, "What is it? What's a disease?" Uh, and you were kind enough to uh, not make me feel bad for not knowing what that meant. Um, but yeah, essentially, it stands for you know the deserters, the people who left Gotham when it got really bad in No Man's Land, and now that they're back. Um, you know, the OG Gothamites, the people who stuck around and, and endured the, the trauma of No Man's Land are, I think, to some extent, justifiably resentful that, you know, those who left are coming back and they're, they're um, you know, it, financially and, and, and psychologically, they're just coming back to the life that they left. Whereas the, the ones who stayed now have to live with the trauma that they endured. And, and there is some tension. And, and I thought it was a really clever way for Rucka to examine uh, this idea of like the haves and the have nots, but through the metaphor of the OGs and the DZs. Yeah, for sure. Like it definitely felt like uh, it was very believable and it felt very organic. Um, it's the sort of thing, you know, I don't know that they ever really put a button on that. I think it just sort of 
faded over time naturally, which I guess perhaps it would if Gotham were real and this this had actually happened. But, you know, there is a two-part storyline uh, early on in the run called Urban Renewal, right, where construction sites owned by DZs, uh, mm-hmm. you know, are, 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 uh, are being uh, uh, destroyed. Uh, and that that arc in particular, like, really highlights a lot of that, uh, the tension between them. Um, so, you know, that was interesting. So, yeah, I mean, these are very... Again, very, uh, detect- I mean, this, it lives up to its name of detective comics. And obviously that was not a mistake, right? So they, you get a lot mm-hmm. of, uh, these flavors of, um, you know, Batman solving, you know, working on cases, you get a strong GCPD influence. You have, uh, you know, again, this, this carryover tension from no man's land. I think a lot of what, uh, Batman and Gordon went through in no man's land and, and their fractured relationship was a big part of that story, especially towards the end. Um, I think you also see that payoff really nicely in this. I mean, their relationship has definitely evolved. Like that was something that I kind of had in mind, especially having reread no man's land, not too long ago. And there was mm-hmm. my favorite issue from no man's land was legends of the dark Knight, one twenty five, written by Rucka where they have that confrontation between Batman and Gordon in Gordon's um, uh, garden Right. Talking about mm-hmm. how Batman left, you know, he left because he had to rediscover his his reason to fight and all of that. And mm-hmm. I noticed like in, in these detective issues, you know, Batman didn't disappear on Jim as the way he the way he would have in the past. And it felt like there was they were a little bit more on equal footing. There was a little bit more of the respect going both ways than than you might have seen in the past. Yeah, it's it's interesting. The the. You know, when this run starts, as you said, it's, it's very much a bridge out of no man's land um, and into what's going to be this current run. And it, and it features actually Gordon very heavily uh, right up front. Um, and what I see Rucka doing is starting to establish Gordon as not just this sort of partner to Batman, which he's often been, uh, but in some ways I see him as, as another father figure for Bruce, uh, you know, and, and of course, Bruce desperately needs that, uh, not having had his father since he was a young, a young kid, but there, and there really are two father figures remaining for, for Bruce in this, and it's Gordon and it's Alfred. Um, so I, I really enjoy that idea of like building Gordon up to, to fulfill that role so that they can start to repair. Um, both of them have uh, some issues that they need to work out carrying over from, from No Man's Land and Batman's absence for much of No Man's Land. And, you know, Gordon, who, you know, was one of the people who lost the most as a result of, of no man's land because his wife was killed. And, you know, he is the, the, the very first image in this run is, you know, him looking at the, the plaque honoring his, his deceased wife. So, you know, they're, they're putting it right out there on front street, you know, uh, so that, so that the, the wounds are raw when this run starts. Yeah, for sure. And it's interesting. You mentioned both Gordon and Alfred because, you know, well, I mean, this is jumping ahead a bit and, this, you know, both of these happen during Officer Down, which we'll cover in more detail when we do our, our bonus extra credit episode. But, uh, you know, Alfred quits during Officer Down and Gordon retires at the end of Officer Down. So these two characters, I mean, so that's the other thing, too, that I think is interesting. I think, you know, by design, this was not meant to be a Bat family book because at the time you had uh, Gotham Knights. Uh, that Devin mm-hmm. Grayson was writing. And that, as memory serves, like that more played up the the rest of the, the Bat family. And so yeah. this was ver- focused very squarely on Batman. But 
to your point, you still had Alfred Slut Gordon. Uh, and then, you know, midway through this run, they're both gone. Uh, around that same time that we do have the introduction of uh, Sasha, the, the bodyguard. Right. Uh, and that was, she, she played a major role, especially in those later issues. And obviously, we'll, you know, we'll talk a lot about that. Um, yes. But that's one of the other things that I think was interesting. This was very much uh, more of a solitary Batman than you typically see. Um, again, as much as, yes, ultimately this is a superhero comic, uh, this really did feel more in line with like a Gotham Central type thing than you know, what, what you might typically expect from in a bat book. And, you know, even just looking at what's going on in bat book in the bat books today, I mean, we like Joker war and like all this other stuff and it's like cool and it's fun and all that. Um, but I think the reason why I wanted to do an episode on this run was that this was something a little bit different. Yeah. And, and, and the focus less on super villainy and more on, you know, sort of street level villainy, I think was, was to the run's credit um, because it, it, it does allow us to see, parts of Batman that we don't often get to see when he's off, you know, chasing the Riddler and he's fighting the Joker and Catwoman. So I, 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 again, I really, really appreciated the fact that while it's not completely, it's not completely free of supervillainy. I mean, the, you know, by its really first major extended storyline, uh, we're made aware that Rachel Ghoul is behind, uh, you know, this sort of major plot in, in Gotham that ultimately culminates in, in seven fifty. Um, but, what I like about what Rucka does is he never lingers for too long on any of those particular things. He doesn't make them the central uh, aspect of the story because even while uh, Batman is, uh, you know, sparring with Whisper Adair, who is working for Rachel Ghoul, uh, and all of the sort of evolved creatures uh, through this serum that, you know, uh, that Rachel Ghoul has as given to whisper it still remained a very very human story uh it never it never felt overly super heroic just heroic um which i really appreciated you know there's a there's a an arc later on in the first half of the run that features poison ivy who at the end of um of no man's land is still occupying robinson park in gotham city um, because it's the only place that has any nature in it. Um, you know, the rest is a concrete jungle. So, you know, she and a couple of her followers, I guess, who've uh, become more in tune with nature, you know, they're, they're there and, and they're living peacefully. And then you have this really interesting, almost philosophical debate about whether the, the Gotham police should force them out should harm them in forcing them out. I mean, they were going to like napalm the whole, the whole park just so that they wouldn't be there. Um, and I thought that what a clever way, not only to sort of wrap up that sort of dangling plot line from, from no man's land, but it reminded me a lot of, you know, the way that oftentimes we handle the homeless population in urban areas, um, you know, living on Long Island, close to New York City, I see it all the time where, you know, we we spend time and money like, uh, you know, create like engineering um, structures with spikes on them and with, you know, all of these things to specifically keep homeless people from sitting down or lying down or all this. And, you know, I, I felt that whether whether Rucka intended that or not, I can't say. But uh, but again, if we look at superheroes as essentially you know uh, hyperbolic metaphors for issues in our in our real world, that to me seemed like it was 
speaking to that issue. And ultimately, fortunately, Batman was able to diffuse it peacefully and he was able to convince uh, Ivy to leave. But, uh, but uh, yeah, the, the, the idea of having the supervillains in there, but not, not focusing so much on the supervillainy, but focusing on the humanity of them uh, was really a harm, hallmark of the run. The first half of it. Yeah, no, I mean, I agree 100%. And that that two parter with Ivy uh, really stood out a lot to me as well. Um, And yeah, I mean, it raised some interesting ethical questions. Because I mean, like you said, she wasn't hurting anyone. If anything, she was protecting both the park and the children who were there who very much wanted to be with her who, you know, didn't have anywhere to go otherwise, certainly during No Man's Land. Um, and, you know, the mayor, you know, imposes this deadline, right, that the park is going to be napalmed if they can't get her out before then. And it really puts a ticking clock on this. And, you know, ultimately, yeah. it's her care for the children that gets her to yield, right? Because they're initially able to get the kids out, but they, they want to go back to be with Ivy. And Batman has the idea, well, OK, let them because he knows she cares about mm-hmm. them so much uh, that she couldn't bear the thought of them being harmed during the, <laughs> the napalming. Uh, so she finally uh, yields. It's funny, too. And again, it's just interesting, you know, as, as, you know, longtime fans of this stuff, how your perspectives can change. And I was never a huge Poison Ivy fan. It could just, I mean, I didn't have a strong feeling one way or the other, but I, you know, I was like, all right. Uh, The Harley Quinn cartoon, the new Harley Quinn cartoon has so made me a fan of that character. (laughs) And it's not even that the characterization in the, in the Rucka run matches what's, what's in the cartoon necessarily, but. Uh, I just have recently, like, have recently acquired, you know, a greater appreciation for the character. So, like, I definitely enjoy that two-part story more than I did the first time around. Uh, but, you know, to your point, you, you know, you're 100% right. I, I really think that is another hallmark of this run is that when the the traditional rogues gallery is, is used. And they, you know, again, we have Poison Ivy, we have Two-Face, we have Mad Hatter. I mean, they're there. Um, but, again, I think you, you get a little bit of a different angle than you typically see. You know, Two-Face... Uh, is used appropriately twice, unless there's another that I'm forgetting, to great effect both times. I mean, we have one issue where he's uh, he's the, the sending flowers to Renee Montoya on her birthday. And again, going back to the connections with Gotham Central, uh, and this started during No Man's Land, and then Rucka continued it here, and then it, it really, uh, you know, is it, featured in, in Gotham Central. So that's another thread that, you know, kind of continues here for people who are fans of, of Gotham Central. Um, but you know, you have that, that issue, but the one that I love with Two-Face, I, I just thought this was, was so, so cool because you don't, again, you don't off, often see this where he crashes Jim Gordon's retirement dinner and he flips the coin and he ends up just giving a really heartfelt, normal <laughs> toast to Jim <laughs> Gordon and hugs him <laughs> like, it, and you know, it was great. And even Batman was like, like, wait, like, let's see. And that's the thing too. It's like, you see how well he knows <clears throat> Uh, you know, these villains of his, you know, over and over. And I thought that was such a, I love that issue. And I love that, uh, that use of Two-Face. Yeah. And, and what's great about them too, is their small appearances. The issue isn't about Two-Face, neither of them. The issue of Montoya's birthday is about Montoya. And you don't even see Two-Face until the end where she visits him in, in prison. Um, and, 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 you know, the, the issue where, where he crashes uh, Gordon's uh, retirement party, same thing. I mean, the issue is about Gordon's retirement. And only briefly do we get, do we get Two-Face. There is another uh, Two-Face piece in this run. Um, 
which is the issue that looks unlike any oh, of the others. Yes. Right. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. Which, which is sort of the last issue in the first half uh, of the run where we get to see this comic book that Two-Face has written and drawn um, as like art therapy in prison, right? We can work out all of his anxieties and frustrations and resentments. And it's wonderful because through, again, this uh, hyperbolic metaphor of, of the story that he's telling, you know, you, le- you learn so much about what it is that makes him tick, about what he wants, about what he feels. And then the the, the capper, the tragic capper of it is that, you know, they read the comic and then they have to shut this art therapy program down. So he's not going to have the opportunity to do it again. Like we might have seen the rehabilitation of Harvey Dent had he been able to express himself in this way. But because of I think it was funding, they couldn't keep the program going. And so the issue ends on a really you know bittersweet note that he can't keep doing this. And I thought, what a great way to indirectly use a character like Two-Face. Because Two-Face himself really isn't in the issue other than the way he depicts himself in the in the book as this sort of strapping hero, you know. I, I'll confess, that's the one issue that I skipped uh, on my reread. <laughs> and that was why I completely missed it when I was like, oh, he, he makes two appearances in this. Uh, I started to read it and I saw, I again, I read this when it first came out, uh, but I kind of forgotten about it. And then I saw that the 20 out of 22 pages were the comic that Two-Face made. And I said, uh, uh, but your description of it makes me want to go back and, and give it another shot. That was part of that month. They had done like this gimmicky uh, Batman dies uh, like, and it's on the cover of detective comics, but like all the bat books that month had some version of that where there was some, you know, fantasy uh-huh. or alternate timeline or like whatever it was where Batman dies. Uh, and so I think I was just sort of like, ah, I'm just going to skip over this, but, uh, but I'm, I'm glad you read it and enjoyed it. And I, I might, I might, uh, give it another look now. I didn't realize it was part of like, a, a you know, a, yeah. a, not a crossover, but like a, a themed sort of month. Yes. Um, but I thought that, you know, especially when. Because that sounds like it was editorially driven, like, OK, every Batman writer, you know, <laughs> do this. Um, and I'm sure that some were more successful in doing it than others. And I thought Rucka did a really interesting, uh, you know, took that idea and ran with it in a really interesting way that still pushes Two-Face's character forward without having to, you know, stop the the Batman story and and do something, you know, without having to, you know, interrupt the flow uh, of it. It really fits in beautifully. And of course, the the, the frame narrative of it, the first couple pages and the last couple pages are drawn and colored to look like the rest of the run. It's Two-Face's comic that looks right. completely different. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Let's take a 30-second commercial break, uh, and then we will continue. So we'll be right back. The Hive Comics and Games is an oasis of nerd fun and events in the heart of Odessa, Texas. Whether it's comic book superhero stories or role-playing in a dungeon, The Hive is where to be. Come tap your mana and face off against the top Magic the Gathering players in West Texas. Hive carries a majority <clears throat> of new comic titles each Wednesday, and has all of your favorite titles in their back issue section. Follow them on Facebook at The Hive Comics and on Instagram at The Hive Comic Shop. All right, and we're back. Uh, so again, man, I'm so glad that you uh, that you enjoyed the run. I, again, I figured you would, but you know, I don't want to take anything for granted. Uh, I one of my favorites is the first issue of the run, and you know, it killed me back in the day. So the new Gotham trades that are out now that we mentioned. 
collect everything that we're talking about. But back in the day, they did uh, they did a collection of this, and they omitted 742. They started with the first part of Evolution. And that really bums me out because, uh, you know, that first issue is a great... Uh, I mean, there's a lot of setup, but like it's bringing us back into this new Gotham and uh, really focused on Jim Gordon. And you see Batman, uh, you know, kind of, uh, you know, monitoring Gordon. And this is right in the aftermath of his wife being killed. And uh, I thought it was a really strong issue. And and again, it, I mean, it really, I think, set the tone well for what this run was going to be. So it was uh, I'm glad that it's now represented in the in the collected material as as well it should be. Yeah, I, I mean, I can't under, I can't imagine why, other than that it isn't technically part of the evolution storyline, why it wouldn't have been uh, collected before this. Because again, stylistically, when you look at it, it, it absolutely fits in in this run. Um, uh, yeah, I, yeah, you have to question some of the you know some some of the decisions that that are made there. Yeah, um, the only thing this is so nit this is so silly and nitpicky. The only thing though, <laughs> you know, at the very beginning, Bruce, you know, Batman is. Uh, you know, describing Gordon's routine and he gets up every morning and uh, he runs, he, you know, he's out running for like an hour and a half and, and, and all he consumes, it seems, is like coffee and water. And it's like, how is this guy even functioning? <laughs> but, you know, I don't know if you're a runner or you have been, but it's like, uh, anyway, very, very small point. <laughs> no, but you know what, but it's, but it's a detail, I think, that connects Bruce to Gordon in a way because, you know, Bruce also essentially... It, you know, eats only when necessary, sleeps only as much as he absolutely has to, um, you know, doesn't he, he, he in order to devote himself to being Batman, he can't let little things like, you know, basic human survival get in the way. Um, so to, to, you know, to watch Gordon doing some of the same things that that Batman traditionally does, you know, depriving himself of the, you know, the creature comforts and, I, I think, you know, establishes a bit of a connection. I think Bruce does see himself a little bit in, in Gordon sometimes. Yeah. No, well said. So what did you think of, I mean, cause really, you know, most of these, uh, story arcs, I mean, I, I, I put that in quotes. I mean, again, for the most part, maybe you have like a two part story. Um, you know, you don't have these like massive, uh, storylines, the more thematic carryover and, and things like that. Um, uh, but the evolution story arc would be one of the larger ones, and uh, as you said, we have Whisper Adair and uh, and and Abbott, the uh, agents of of I say Ra's al Ghul, but I know Ra's al Ghul. Uh, you know, I, I never got a definitive ruling on that. So uh, we'll, me either. We, we, all right. <laughs> uh, and and you know, so it's like a four. I think initially a four part storyline, and then they kind of pick up those mm -hmm. threads in Batman Seven Fifty. But you know, the thrust yeah. of it is that Whisper and Abbott are you know um, uh, manipulating the the gang leaders of uh, of Gotham into conflict as they are peddling a, uh, a new street drug that promises immortality, but also causes these mutations and is highly addictive. Uh, what did you think of this arc? Cause I like, I, I love the gang warfare aspect of it and the sort of the chess that uh, Abbott and, and Whisper were playing and, you know, Batman's attempts to kind of sort everything out. Um, the elixir aspect of it, uh, you know, I, I could kind of take or leave, but I just sort of felt like, both in those initial four issues and then even in 750, I don't know that it, the, they really stuck the landing on it. I mean, what was your takeaway from that arc? I am very much in agreement with you. Uh, I thought that, that for me, the most interesting aspects were, I think there were like five different gangs, mm -hmm. uh, each controlling sort of an a, a section or aspect of, of Gotham. Um, and right. Whisper manipulates them basically into war with one another, um, which, 
causes enough chaos and shifts the focus away from what she and by extension, Rachel Ghoul are doing. And, um, uh, I just, I'm going to flash it since, since we're video podcasting. Yeah. We're very uh, advanced these days. This, I know this, this beautiful, sort of panel layout where, you know, Batman appears to be confronting one particular person, but because it's divided into five, he's actually confronting a member of all five of the gangs. But that, you know, that idea of just economy of space on a, on a comic book page. I mean, you don't do it better than that. Yeah, that was, that was, that was a real standout for sure. Absolutely stunning. So you can have, you know, Batman saying one thing, but he's saying it to five different gangs uh, all at once. That's the stuff that really excited me about that because, uh, you know, number one, it shows that, you know, even after No Man's Land, which also was divided up into its, you know, different areas and each ruled by a different uh, you know, supervillain, we're not back to, we're not, we haven't restored Gotham. Um, it's still very much in, in shambles. Uh, it is being reconstructed. It has not been reconstructed. And so you're going to have criminals trying to seize opportunities. And, and so it made sense to me that there'd be a gang war. Um, I thought Whisper Adair was an interesting enough character. I don't know if I love the serum drug um, thing. <laughs> um once we started to see, you know, creatures, uh, you know, spitting venom and sprouting wings and, you know, that kind of stuff. Something I lost interest. I still was, I still was entertained, but I was more entertained by, by some of that other stuff. Um, I thought it, I thought it paid off fairly well in 750. And the only reason, not the only reason, but the reason I say that is because, um, what you get is not just Batman, Whisperadere, Rachel Ghoul, but you also have Talia mm-hmm. who makes her way into that issue. And for me, the payoff was in one particular speech that Rachel Ghoul says to Batman, where he basically sums up the relationships between those four characters. Um, I recently learned about this concept called the character wheel, that when writers are, are, are writing stories with multiple characters, you try to um, create traits in different characters that are meant to exemplify or bring out other traits in others. So especially when you're dealing with um, relationships that are in conflict, when you're dealing with romantic relationships, supporting friend relationships. Um, but Rachel Gould says to him, we all have our addictions, detective. Whispers is me. In turn, mine is the Lazarus pit. My daughter's is you and yours is your holy quest. And when you put those four addictions in the same room with each other, in this case, in the same story with each other, you just get this really explosive, interesting interconnectedness of the conflict that I didn't anticipate based just on what was set up in the four issue evolution storyline. So for me, I think the landing was in some ways stronger than, than the setup just for that one moment. That was, that was a very, uh, a very powerful moment. And I think it does shed a lot of light on, on the character of, I mean, on all of them, but especially on Batman. And I guess kind of building off on that, you know, when we get into the, the later part of the run, um, it really kind of shifts once Sasha enters the picture and especially when she learns that Bruce is Batman and you see Batman through fresh eyes, right? It's not like Dick Grayson narrating a story about him. Like this is really an outsider. And I think that really shows a lot about, you know, how, 
you know, Batman's not always the best, you know, certainly as far as being a leader or a teammate or a teacher, uh, you know, as much as he has cultivated this family around him, he's can be pretty prickly to deal with. And, and so, you know, so kind of, I think both of those kind of illustrate examples of, yeah, other characters, you know, kind of shedding some light on, on our hero. Uh, yeah. I mean, that art overall, it's just funny to me because again, this was a very, for the most part, like a pretty grounded run. And this is a little bit of an outlier. And I, I, I guess I just sort of wish that, uh, you know, they had focused more on the, the gang warfare aspect of it rather than the, you know, the elixir and the mutations. Uh, the other, I guess my, the one disappointment, when I say that I didn't feel they stuck the landing, I guess, you know, I was hoping and assuming that we were going to get, that there was going to be more of a revelation about why Raish was pursuing this. And unless I missed something, it really seemed to come down to money, you know, Right. Which is fine. If that's the case, but I guess I, for whatever reason, I just I kept thinking to my because I guess that was one of the things that that Bruce speculated early on, and so I guess I kind of figured, well, all right, if he thinks it's that, like maybe you know maybe there's something else, like we're not quite you know uh, you know clued in on yet. Yeah, I think it, well, I think it's money, but I also think it's control. I think he was trying to get some sort some sort of permanent foothold into Gotham, and and Gotham's never really been more vulnerable than during this, you know reconstruction period after no man's land um you know as, as the title no man's land even suggests like it, it's it's unclaimed uh yeah. and so you're gonna have people sort of moving in to try to claim it and and rachel ghoul is certainly from what we see the biggest contender uh to that so you know he just has the resources and the you know the outreach to be able to do that um and and whisper adair seemed at first to be you know a character sort of poised to make that all happen. I actually found that her character got weaker, not physically, but just in terms of as a character got weaker, the more she got into the, the, the evolution serum drug uh, thing. But when she was just manipulating the different gangs, that to me was when she was sort of the scariest, the wiliest, you know, she got close to Bruce Wayne. Yeah. That's very true. close to Bruce Wayne. Um, and the mayor. And, and, and the mayor. <laughs> right. And even in that in that uh, issue seven fifty, you know, she, I think, it was, Batman gives her the antidote, mm-hmm. and she rejects it. You know, she seems to be so grateful to be free of this addiction, this poison, and yet she runs directly back to it and unrepentantly. Um, so she she starts off strong. She kind of weakens for me in the middle. And then she becomes pretty devious again at the end. And I kind of like that, that return for yeah. her. Has, do you know offhand, has that character appeared elsewhere since? Cause I, I can't think of anything offhand. I can't either, but again, I'm, I, I, mm-hmm. you know, not having read Batman as consistently as I probably would have liked. I can't say for sure. Can't yeah. say for sure. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's certainly the first uh, major arc. And I know that poison Ivy mm-hmm. two parter is, is right around there um, as well. What, what else, uh, what else do you have coming up on your notes there? <laughs> Um, I mean, for the first half of, of this run, I think as far as I'm concerned, I think we've covered everything there. And it sounded like you were starting to shift to that second half of the run by bringing up Sasha. So I'm happy to go there if you're, if you're ready to go there. Yeah, no, that works for me. Let's do it. Page two of my Page two of your notes. I love it. Listen, I don't have to take notes. This is great. (laughs) I'm a teacher, but I'm also a student sometimes, so <laughs> I like to take notes. Um, no, I thought what you what you had started to say about the second half of this run, where 
you know, Sasha is really our narrator. Through mm-hmm. the, if not all of it, then certainly the vast majority of it. Um, and getting to see Bruce Wayne and Batman through brand new eyes. You know, it's one thing if Nightwing narrates a story, if Gordon narrates a story, people who have this history with him. But to, to, to hear it from somebody who is, you know, when this starts meeting him for the first time, you know, going to work for him for the first time, trying to figure him out because he absolutely baffles her at first until she figures out that, that he's Batman. Um, and then getting hurt, you almost have, it's not quite a love triangle, but it is a triangle because it's Sasha, Bruce, and Batman <laughs> in, in this, you know, sort of, uh, you know, interplay that, I found absolutely delightful. I thought that the second half of this run was a step up from the first. I enjoyed the first half very, very much. But I thought that this was where Rucka really started to fire on all cylinders in terms of his storytelling, characterization. I absolutely loved the second half of this run. Good. I'm glad. No, same here. And I think, you know, his, his like you could tell he was excited to write Sasha and to tell this story right and yeah. and that really shows and again like the first because it's it's very true like for the first chunk of this run uh when we do have narration it is typically Batman and again it's you know as he's working through his case and things like that and it's, it's solid and it's enjoyable and they're they're good detective stories uh but I think from a from a, a character point of view an emotional uh place you do get there's a little bit more meat on the bone in that second half once you have um once you have Sasha there and Again, I, and I, I know none of this was was an accident. The fact that uh, again, this was a book not focusing on the Bat family, and we take Alfred and Gordon off the board around the same right. time that we're bringing in this new character who's seeing him with fresh eyes. Like it, it really was a different dynamic. And you know, one one of my favorite things was it's funny too because like it's a it's only a few issues before she finds out his identity. Like, and, and I guess in my mind, I thought like this played out for a lot longer. Mm-hmm. Um, but for those first couple of issues where she's, you know, Lucius Fox basically forces Bruce uh, to accept Sasha as his bodyguard. He says the whole bo- we're going to the whole board is going to quit unless you allow this. Um, and so we get a couple of issues where, you know, Sasha is, you know, she's observing Bruce and it's funny to to see. And, and you don't often get a ton of this in Batman comics like to mm-hmm. see the facade that is Bruce Wayne through someone else's eyes. And it was so fascinating because like there are all these like little, little details that kind of show like, oh, like that's how he gets around this, right? Like little moments, mm-hmm. but like at Gordon's retirement dinner where he doesn't drink, right? And Sasha says, yeah, but like Bruce, uh, you know, he said he wouldn't use this this wine, this cheap wine as uh, as mouthwash, right? So like that's the kind of stuff that he'll say to avoid having to drink. But of course, like he needs to keep his wits about him. Like there were so many little yeah. things like that. Yeah, similarly, you know, when he needs to shake Sasha, he like clumsily leans on the table and all the drinks spill on her. So she has to go clean up in the bathroom. So he's free to, you know, <laughs> become Batman and, and and do what he needs to do. And uh, he, he he's 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 really good at being shallow and you know flippant. Uh, and yeah, you I mean, you never get to see that. Um, I, you know, I, I was listening to an interview with Greg Rucka not long ago, and he mentioned this run and, and what prompted him to, to introduce a character like Sasha. And 
I mean, it's so obvious now when you see it, it's like, well, you know, what, what can you do with Batman here? That's, that's new, you know, and, and what kind of a conflict can you create for him that will be ongoing? That's not one of his classic supervillains. That's not, you know, the usual sort of criminal element of, of, of Gotham, but a real character conflict for him. It's like you put somebody in his life who needs to to be with him 24 hours a day, you know, to, to watch him carefully. And he doesn't now have the freedom to just go, escape and become Batman. And, you know, when Batman is prevented from being Batman, that creates a new layer to whatever conflict he's trying to be Batman to confront. Uh, and, and that came through so clearly here. Um, the, you know, the other thing that, I loved was what you mentioned that she figures out he's Batman very, very early. She's working for him. You know, she, I think she's, she starts working for him. I think it's the issue of Gordon's retirement party, right? It's the beginning of that or is right at the the end of the previous issue. Yeah. Something like that. I mean, they set it up right. And then, but the, I feel like that retirement dinner was like the first like big outing. That was their first big outing. And directly following that is the Superman-Batman crossover that we covered. And it's at the end of that detective issue that she opens the case and there are all the batarangs and she says, oh, Bruce Wayne. <laughs> you know? and, I, and I actually love it because it is not his responsibility to correct the long-running problem with the Clark Kent-Lois Lane relationship where you have... The- in who went decades now figuring out that the guy sitting at the next desk is actually Superman. And here you take Sasha, who is, I mean, super intelligent, capable, dogged, like she wasn't going to figure this out. If she hadn't, she would have been completely unqualified to be his bodyguard. So to give her that, to give her the dignity of being in that role, especially as a female, yeah. especially as a female character and to make her strong as a result of it created a character who I wanted to keep reading. I wanted to hear her inner thoughts. I wanted to see what she would do next. She became, I think my favorite new character, uh, certainly of this run and, and uh, you know, in, in the sort of Batman mythos. Yeah. And I know she went on to, uh, to lead the checkmate series that Rucka wrote for DC, which I'll be mm-hmm. honest, I never read. Uh, but I'm kind of curious, uh, especially after, you know, revisiting her uh, her introduction here. But, yeah, I mean, she was a wonderful addition uh, to, you know, to, to comics generally and, and specifically in this <laughs> Batman story. And, yeah, you know, to your point, I think they did right by her by having her figure things out when she did. I mean, especially, like you said, as the bodyguard, seeing that this guy, like, shakes her every night, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. Uh, you know, at a certain point, it's like, you know, would, would she just look silly if she didn't figure it out? And I feel like... Uh, it was a it was a nice pace that they moved at because they got enough mileage out of, uh, you know, her her noting his odd behavior. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. And then kind of, you know, uh, you know, getting to go backstage and 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 uh, and and learn his secret and everything. So I thought that that played out uh, again at a, at a good pace. Um, but yeah, a lot of a lot of cool moments in those early issues with her. And, you know, that's the thing. It's like you're right. Like we, you rarely see Bruce as Bruce Wayne for extended periods of time, because why would you? Right. Like it's. 
you know, he's only Bruce to the extent that he needs to be, right? Because mm-hmm. Batman is really who he is. But when you saddle him with a bodyguard, it's like, oh, like, well, now, you know, this opens up a reason to spend more time with the character in that way, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, f- we get to see him, you know, go golfing and we get to see And lose him. a million dollars. And, and lose uh, a yeah. million dollars. <laughs> we see him, uh, we see him, uh, you know, on dates because we're, you know, they're in an introduced Vesper Fairchild as well as a, as a brief love interest for, for Bruce. And of course, yes, yeah, so very, to, very brief, uh, very brief, very brief. Well, cause are you familiar? I know you didn't read it, but you're familiar with the, the murderer fugitive setup. Not really. Okay. Is it, it, is it, is it her? It, yeah. She's the, she's the, she's the murder. <laughs> the victim. lover spurned. She's the, she's the murder victim. Uh, oh, she's the victim. Yes. Okay. I didn't realize. Yeah. Ah, uh, okay. That makes sense. I'm sorry to spoil that. I, maybe I shouldn't have. No, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> Uh, it's fine. That's the, the very beginning. That's what uh, that's what kicks everything off there. Yeah. Uh, but the, you know, the golf outing was really cool because um, you know it's amusing to see uh, to see Bruce you know play the you know the the, the dullard. But uh, you know you see the like that's the thing like you see the the reason behind everything he does and how he's bringing about good even in his Bruce Wayne guys in ways that you might not expect, right? Like he purposely misses the golf shot so that he, you know, that he uh, loses the million dollars. But uh, that is what is able to get that developer to sink money into Gotham, right? So I thought that was a nice touch. And because as readers, we know that no matter how complex that shot is, the guy who can ricochet a batarang off that wall, that light post here and hit the gun out of that guy's hand, he's going to make that shot if he wants to. Yeah, you know. So for us, it becomes this a fun little bit of narrative tension. Not nothing's really at stake there, but it is a fun bit of narrative tension that that you know that Sasha gets to uh, witness, and then therefore we get to witness. So I love those moments of of Bruce just being just seemingly vapid, but in ways that allow Sasha to say something's not right here. Right. Right. How could how could Bruce Wayne? How could the guy with that you know money and power and reputation? be this simple <laughs> right and uh and of course you know he's not <laughs> you know or even the sneaking out every night she's like you know could it be a woman like every single night <laughs> you know it's like you know you, you see her and again as a testament to her character right the idea that you know even before she finds his his stuff in dc right like she's already yeah. seeing like something's not quite adding up here uh but yeah a lot of fun moments like that going back to i think what's one of our favorite issues that retirement dinner where uh, I think it's it's maybe before Two Face because there's someone else who crashes as well with with, with yeah. the gun, and uh, he's taken down real easily. Yes, with yeah, you a room full of <laughs> room full of cops. But I think it's there or with Two Face where Sasha uh, tackles Bruce. She's like, "Oh my god!" It was like hitting a brick wall. <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Those are those fun, fun wink winks to the to the reader, obviously, you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, so, you know, the big shift, of course, right? Like she finds out his his secret and then it's <clears throat> it's very interesting to me, like how committed she is to her job as his bodyguard that she's willing to to follow him out in the field as 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 Batman and continue this, you know? Yeah, I, you know, I went back and forth on it a couple of times because on the one hand, it would seem to me that she would just say, look, you clearly have other things going on that are bigger and more important than than this, you know, working relationship. So you do you, I will, 
you know, be your bodyguard when you're Bruce Wayne, when you need it to keep up appearances for, for the board at at Wayne Enterprises. Uh, But, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna stalk you the way that, that I need to, but no, she, she wants to be a part of it. She wants to, she wants to help him be a better Batman. And if she can take some of the heat off of whether that's people snooping around and trying to figure out Batman's identity or just kind of covering the, the little bits and pieces that he can't because he's taking care of the bigger conflict, then, then she's going to do that. I, I, and I'm part of me really likes that I, for if no other reason than that it, it makes her presence in the book continual. You know, I just wanted her there. Yeah. You know, so even if it didn't make a hundred percent narrative sense, I just wanted her there. Yeah. You know, fair enough. And I, I think, you know, reading it, rereading it, it definitely felt like a, it was a little bit of a stretch that she would make that <laughs> leap literally and figuratively. Right. Uh, it's a great right. moment, right? When she takes her first jump off of a building oh, with a grappling so hook and, you know, she freaks out, but then she, it's so <laughs> exhilarating and she's like, oh my God, like I didn't know, you know, it, it felt like that for you. Yeah. Uh, and it, and it does lead to um, some interesting tension between the two of them. And I think a little bit of a different flavor than you typically get in terms of the people Bruce is training. Because, mm-hmm. again, it's not like she's immediately all in on his war on crime, right? It's like she really – she is his bodyguard and, like, she wants to protect him and help him. Um, and so I thought that was kind of an interesting angle. And, you know, Bruce has that line where he's like, you know, I'm not in this – for kicks like this is holy he says this is holy work for me um you know and so he and he puts her through you know quite the gauntlet of you know this 30 day uh you know training period uh where he really pushes her to her limits uh before he before he's willing to take her out yeah and i like that issue too because it's it 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 was literally a side plot it's the paddles (laughs) running down like the left side of the page they're colored a little bit differently than the the rest of the issue, which focused, I think, more on like GCPD goings on, um, and and the issue, of course, is called "In Thirty Days," and you know we we watch her train fiercely to be physically, mentally, and emotionally ready to put on a costume and leap from rooftops along with along with Batman. But you know, it it, it had the ring of like you know, if this were a film, it'd be a training montage. You know, you'd have like this inspiring Eye of the Tiger like music, and she'd be you know pulling up and sweating and you know it's so i i liked that i i really did i i I thought it was i thought it was a good a good way to push her character forward again even if it doesn't make a hundred percent the narrative sense i i just i wanted to see her stick around and the only way she could logically stick around i think is if she is, is there with him you know as both bruce and batman yeah, I think, right, I think she only sticks around in a meaningful way, right, if she does what she does. I think if yeah, she yeah. just did what you had said, like, oh, like, I'll just be your public-facing bodyguard, right, when you need when you need me for appearances, uh, then, yeah, mm-hmm. she doesn't have as much to do, and I think she sort of just, like, fades into the background. So, uh, yeah, no, I mean, I think it definitely, uh, you know, worked for the intended purpose. And so that issue, right, like you said, we, we also follow what was going on at the GCPD, and I believe that was the issue uh, with the internal affairs uh, mm-hmm. investigation, right? So that was coming out of this three-part Mad Hatter story 
um, that I liked. I thought it was pretty cool. You had these cops committing robberies, you know, across the city <laughs> and, uh, yeah. you know, not having, you know, not being in control of themselves and realizing that, uh, you know, like they, they weren't in control of their bodies. It was like they were just watching themselves do this. And of course, you know, our detectives, you know, Bullock and Allen and Montoya are initially extremely skeptical. And then Montoya and Allen, you know, become susceptible to this as well. And, yeah. uh, you know, we find out that it's Matt Hatter uh, posing as a coffee cart vendor. And he has these coffee carts across the city. I, I thought that was actually kind of clever. Um, you know, I mean, as far as like a Matt Hatter story goes, would I say this was like, oh, this was so groundbreaking? No, but I thought it was like a clever, um, a, a clever little upgrade for him where he's infecting everyone with uh, was like nanites in the coffee. And then the, <laughs> the punch card is the receiver yeah. that he says. I thought that was clever. <laughs> Well, it's, you know, how do you, how do you kind of infiltrate as much of the GCPD at once as possible? It's like, well, you know, what do cops like coffee? Because they work long hours, they're exhausted and overworked. So you put the coffee carts outside all the precincts where they operate and you offer them these crazy deals, right? I think it was like you buy 10 cups, you get the 11th free. I mean, that's so crazy, but, you know, uh, and, and, and of course they're going to take advantage of it. Um, and I liked that. And I liked, I, I liked too the structure of that story because it's not the Mad Hatter machinations that, that are so important or as you said, groundbreaking here. It's that that conflict becomes the vehicle for showcasing certainly the Bruce Sasha Batman dynamic, and it pushes Montoya and Allen to the forefront uh, in some ways that that I think they were ready for as characters. They that, that felt appropriate and necessary, um, and and I really enjoyed that. I, I, I like when you know the story almost becomes secondary mm-hmm. to the characters to serving the characters. Um, the fact that, for instance, you know, at one point, um, Sasha makes some offhanded comment to Bruce about like the coffee. Yeah. Yeah. And you're like, did she, did she figure this out before he did? Yeah. And cause again, she's smart and capable and yeah, she kind of suspected that there may be something about that coffee. And I, I liked what it did for them. Yeah, I like that a lot, too. And, you know, again, to your point about it not being about the villain, right? Like it I felt the the whole idea of I think it was like one third of the police department was, you know, susceptible to this control and, you know, mm-hmm. sort of the fear. Of, and we see it play out right where Mad Hatter activates all of them. And it's just like, you know, you know, these resist the cop, you know, the, the, the unaffected cops of like these become these resistance fighters. And so I thought, yeah, there was a lot that um, that I thought played out really in a really interesting way. And uh, yeah, the Mad Hatter aspect was almost, uh, you know, secondary to, to all of this, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I also did think it was it was a clever move to give Mad Hatter a, 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 a methodology that's different from the way he usually operates, right? Obviously, you know, if people are being controlled by the headwear, you can pretty much bet that it's Mad Hatter. And this time, I mean, Batman makes a point of saying at the end, once he solves it, like, it's not in their hats or headwear or any of any kind. He's, he went a new route this way, which is why it took us a little bit longer to figure out that he was the one behind it. You know, he didn't use his usual tricks. So I thought that was clever too. And I mean, you know, another, a couple of other interesting aspects to this story is that, you know, Gotham is no stranger to, you know, corrupt 
cops, right? And so, you know, it definitely mm-hmm. plays into that whole that whole uh, idea. And if I'm not mistaken, this was the first story that the new commissioner, because we're now, we're post officer down here, where the new commissioner calls on Batman. And I thought they, they had an interesting uh, exchange where he's like, you know, <laughs> I just... Uh, you know, like he recognizes the need for Batman, but he's like, our department needs to be more reliant. And Batman's like, yeah, we're self-reliant. He's like, I agree. <laughs> so I thought, that, you know, they, they kind of came to, to equal ground and I thought that was a, a cool scene. I agree. Yeah, no, there's there's significant turnover in the GCPD throughout the second <laughs> half of this run. And, and Commissioner Aikens is the first to, to, to be there. And I, and I actually love the rooftop moment where the back signal is lit and, and Batman answers the call. And I think it's Gordon who introduces Aikens to Batman and Aikens, you know, wh- what do you do? You hold out your hand. Hey, pleasure to meet you, Batman. <laughs> and Batman does not reciprocate at all. Yeah. You know, he doesn't want, it's, it's bad enough for him, you know, to lose Gordon in that role, but it's going to take him a while before he's willing to accept, you know, this new guy is not, who's not Gordon. He's on, un, he's unproven. He's untested. You know, is he going to be the kind of partner for him? This kind of sympathetic partner that, that Gordon has been all these years. Maybe not at first. So I, I get that tension. Yeah, it's true. I mean, you think about how long it took for, you know, for that relationship between Batman and Gordon to develop to the point where, you know, mm. Batman truly calls him a friend and means it yeah. right and gets to a point where they're having an actual conversation and he's not just you know <laughs> disappearing uh and leaving leaving jim standing there there was another similar <laughs> moment where uh where akins uh, during the mad hatter storyline like they were waiting to hear from batman because batman was going to try to track down mad hatter i think akin says to uh to stacy the the uh, assistant he's like have we heard from batman and she's like yeah he doesn't really call like <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's like yeah. he just kind of shows up. It's not like like he'll leave a message. <laughs> um, right. He shows up when you don't expect him, and then he leaves when you don't expect him to. So that's kind of his thing. Yeah. I, I want to circle back to the turnover <laughs> that you mentioned because there's you know there's a big mm-hmm. departure uh, coming up uh, in, in a moment here. But uh, there yeah. were two other kind of one off issues that I that I enjoyed so much. One was like truly a one off. Um, the one where um, Batman is. Uh, tracking a car full of thieves and a family is, is run off the road and 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 yeah. Batman like has to he doesn't know <clears throat> that this family has been run off the road. We're following their story, right? As they're submerged underwater uh and, and trying to get out and um while Batman's tracking down these these criminals and eventually he, he realizes he sees the signs of uh of, of, of a crash and he he realizes I thought that was a great very tense uh very tense issue. Absolutely. And, and look, I, I, I'm going to admit this, and I don't know whether I should be proud of this or ashamed of it, but I'm going to say it anyway. I am a sucker for an, a, an issue title or a storyline title that has that, that multiple meaning. And the name of the issue is Airtime. And the title appears on a page where this family's car has literally run the, the, you know, through the guardrail and is in the air about to plunge into the, uh, the water. But then... It, the, when the story shifts its focus to them, I mean, the water is rising and they are literally running out of air. They have no more airtime. Yeah. Um, and I just, I really like that cleverness. I, I really, I really truly do. I think that it was tense and the choice again, that, you know, we're dealing with this dual color thing, the choice of purple and green, for this particular issue was so unsettling. That particular combination is so unsettling. It's a sickening kind of 
color scheme that I thought was such a brilliant choice for that issue. No other issue in this whole run looks exactly like that one. Um, and I applaud them for, for just doing everything they can to, to, you know, having this really compelling story that ultimately doesn't really tie into anything else, but doing everything they can to make it as, as affecting for the reader as possible. Yeah. And I mean, you know, this is, you know, one more thing with that, the dual, uh, or one more thing I want to say, if you have other stuff, feel free. But with the, with the dual color <laughs> scheme is that, you know, I feel like, cause I rem- like, I remember reading the letter, you know, I used to read the letters pages when I used to have those all the time. And yeah. if, if I'm remembering correctly, I mean, I feel like people were kind of divided on the dual color scheme. Like I, I seem to recall like reading letters from readers who didn't like it. And to be honest, I feel like I liked it at the time. I don't, I don't really remember specifically like what my take on it was, but I really appreciate it now for, you know, reasons that you've mentioned. And it just, you know, they, these issues like really stand out. And I, I actually, I give DC credit for, for implementing that, um, on, you know, one of their flag flagship books. Um, you know, cause you, you, I wouldn't be surprised if they pushed back and said like, no, like this is detective comics. Like you have to have a more traditional color palette. So I'm glad mm-hmm. like, so again, I, again, I don't remember what I really felt at the time, but looking <laughs> back, you know, looking at it now, it's like, I'm really glad that these issues uh, look the way they do. And there are issues like that, that, you know, really use that to great effect. And, you know, this is one of those issues, like you can just give to anybody, right? Batman reader or not, and just say, Hey, read this. Like it's a really, it's a tense story. And I think, you know, one of the reasons it's so tense is like, yeah, if you had, if you're reading it for the first time and you had to bet money, like whether Batman was going to save them, you figure he probably will. But you know, these these aren't you know characters that we know who have a place in the book. It's like you could see a version of this story where he doesn't make it in time. Um, and, and so, I, and as far as being you know uh, you know making it there in time, you know, you really see like just how much he ca- he cares so much. Because after he saved them, like he's apologizing to them, he's like, "I'm sorry, like I could, like yeah. I didn't get here sooner." Um, and I, I think it was the father was like, "No, like you know, the if you had gotten here any sooner, like the pressure would have been you know too great, you wouldn't have been able to open the door." Um, but it pressurized, like just as you, like you got here at just the right time. Ah, it was a great moment. Yeah, yeah really great. Yeah, especially because you know people are often afraid of Batman, and so here you have this family who, you know, sees his sees his humanity. Yeah. To see his humanity and, because he saw theirs. Um, no, I, I yeah, I, I really, I really, really enjoyed that issue more than I thought I would because usually those one-offs uh, where you go, oh, it's kind of a small story. It doesn't really tie into anything. There's nothing, nothing big really happening. But no, I really, really appreciated it. Um, as for, you know, the, the backlashes you mentioned in the, in the, in the, not backlash, but, you know, uh, dividedness in the, in the letters columns, I understand to some extent, you know, having read superhero comics at this point for, you know, 30 plus years, you know, you usually see one of two things. You see bright garish colors, or in the case of Batman stories in particular, you see very muted blues, grays, blacks, you know, and when something deviates heavily from either of those things it's really off-putting and when that when that deviation stays in place for as long as this one did you know people may have been saying you know when they read the first issue of the run like oh i don't really love that but next month it'll be back to nope (laughs) and and to go what you know what this must have been what two two and a half years yeah or so, right? Of uh, of issues, and to go that long and to really commit, I, I also I commend DC. And for me, and I, you know, I'm in a different position because I'm I'm reading it so many years later now. But 
I really do appreciate it because go, you can go back to the first thing I said when we started, it, it, it unifies the run and it unifies it, not just so that this run feels consistent with itself, but it also separates it from every other run of Batman. You know, it doesn't look like any other run. So it, it has its own unique place in in the continuity. And I like that. It still fits with everything, but it really has its own flavor. You know, and kind of on that note, because this was something I wanted to mention. I was really thinking about this. You know, we did, um, or I, so on my Superman podcast, Digging for Kryptonite, I did two episodes and you joined me for one of them on the mm. Jeff Loeb era of the Superman books. And, you know, as much as I think generally we enjoyed our our reread, uh, you know, we read all four Superman titles that were published uh, for like a, a couple of years. And, you know, as much as we enjoyed our reread, you know, one thing that I think we agreed on was, you know, it would have been great. I think we really gravitated toward uh, the Jeff Loeb and McGinnis title. And, you know, we, we seem to be in agreement like, hey, it would have been great if they could have had a year or two to just tell their stories uninterrupted, not having to be part one of a crossover story every few months, right? And that's what Rucka got with Detective Comics. And that's one of the things that I love so much and why... Again, out of this whole era, it would have been real easy to do a murderer fugitive episode, you know, and maybe down the line we can. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I love that Rucka had the opportunity to tell really, I mean, again, with the exception of that Superman two-parter and Officer Down from the end of No Man's Land until Murderer and Fugitive. I mean, he had like 20 plus issues to tell his story and I'm so glad he did. And it was, it was, it was you know, uh, I think he, he, you know, made use of that time. Uh, to great effect. I one other, I mean, kind of standalone uh, issue um, is, I guess it's the last one that we read where uh, James Gordon's house is robbed, and I mean, Batman is just on a tear. Like Sasha's worried for him and for anyone who gets in his way, and uh, I mean these. So like these these robbers, like they. Like, that's <laughs> not mistaken. Like they clean out <laughs> Gordon's house. Like the neighbors were like, "Oh, we thought he was moving." Like his, his house is yeah. like empty. Uh, but again, yeah. you see how much yeah. Batman, how much he cares, and that anger. Um, you know that that they would do that. And I know I keep going back to this, but that Legends of the Dark Knight issue, where uh, where Batman and Gordon have that heart to heart in the garden in this. Uh, issue 765 uh you know when when batman's you know checking out the crimes he goes out to the snow-covered garden um and that's where he's at he finds right. the cigarette butt and that's the clue that leads him to the to the robber but you know to see him in this space that he's typically shared with his friend uh and and jim's not there he's on a trip right he's traveling in his retirement um, but i thought that was a cool issue i like that one a lot um, I did too. I'm, and, and especially as the end of this part of the run too. Um, I think it, it tied everything really, really nicely. And I know we're going to talk about it later, but you, you almost can't talk about this issue without seeing the connection to, to officer down because, mm -hmm. you know, Batman is still, st you know, still kind of recovering from the near loss of Jim Gordon. And so when this, this act is perpetrated against Gordon, he, he, he can't help but overreact. Um, you know, he, it's like to everything else, he just reacts. But anything involving Gordon in this run, he overreacts. Um, there is clearly something about that relationship that, that hits him just harder. And, and again, I, I really do. I think it's because, because Rucka spent so much of the first part of it building Gordon up as 
another father figure uh, for Bruce. So especially once Alfred does quit, Gordon's all he's got left. And he is in such desperate need for a father. Uh, he always has been since his parents were killed, you know, even more so than his mother. It's, it, it's, I feel bad for Martha Wayne sometimes because, you know, there, there isn't, there doesn't seem to be that same longing for her as there is for, for his dad. Um, and so the fact that he's able to find these, these figures in, in Alfred and Gordon is so significant. Um, but I also love what this issue says, what this issue has to say about, Sasha's purpose in his life. It's not entirely clear to the reader. It's not entirely clear to Sasha herself why she feels this compulsion to be there with him. And she's able to put it into words in in her narration at the end of this issue. And she says, sometimes I think that's why he, meaning Batman, put me in this costume in the first place, not to protect his secret, but rather to protect his heart. And I just thought that, yep, you f- you figured out Batman, yeah. you know, and you you were trying to figure out both Bruce Wayne and Batman simultaneously and separately. And of course, it, it's it's so fitting that the end of this run is her nailing that down. Yeah. Well, I guess that you know that's always been like right one of the uh, <laughs> you know the dichotomies right with with Batman is that he is this loner yet. <laughs> You know, he he builds up this family around him, right? And and even going back to, I mean, other than Alfred, the first one he brings into his crusade, you know, Dick Grayson, you know, that Dick brought some light into his world when he, you know, might otherwise be consumed by darkness. And so, yeah. uh, again, going back to the Grant Morrison run, one of my favorite lines where he says, you know, the first truth of, I said this in another episode too, but, uh, <laughs> you know, the first truth of, of the Batman, the saving grace is I was never alone. Um, and so, you know, we find him in this run, you know, all, alone more so than, you know, in, in a lot of other modern stories. Um, and so, yeah, so Sasha definitely plays, um, you know, plays a big role um, in that. Yeah, I thought that was uh, that was really that was a nice uh, moment. Um, you know, we mentioned Vesper Fairchild. So, you know, a reporter mm-hmm. who, you know, Bruce uh, has, has a, a bit of a, of a relationship with. We find out before Bruce does that she's working on a story trying to get a photo of Batman and uh Batman. We see Batman uh, have a have a moment with her when she's trying to trying to to find him, and then very shortly thereafter, Bruce uh, dumps her in rather cold fashion. He uh, <laughs> uh, has Sasha send her in while he's in the pool with all these other women, and he tells them, "Oh, that's nobody important." Um, again, you know, getting to see how Bruce Wayne operates, you know. Yeah, well, you know what that ties directly into what you said assemble to that which is that you know this run for, for the vast majority of it uh bruce batman is alone he's he's more alone in in this particular run than we've seen him in a while because as you said especially here like really don't see a ton of the bat, bat family um and so <laughs> what what we figure out and what what sasha figures out is that part of his aloneness is just the nature of of being batman but part of it is that he actively is pushing people away. Um, you know, he pushed Alfred away. We'll, we'll talk more yeah. about that, in, you know, but, uh, you know, he pushes Alfred away. In many ways, he pushes the, the other members of the Bat family away. Um, you know, he, as both Bruce and Batman, he pushes Vesper Fairchild away. Um, you know, Sasha, Sasha's able to see something in that budding relationship that, she mentions to him, which is like, you know, 
I hope you're happy with her. He says, I hope you're happy with her. And you can see there's a, there's a shift in Bruce's facial expression. When she says this, he goes completely, uh, you know, <laughs> sort of neutral, if not angry at that. And, and you can see that that moment he started plotting, you know, how am I going to, how am I going to dump this woman? Um, and, and really coldly, really coldly, you know, for someone who's trying to save everybody, you know, he, he really could have psychologically, and, and maybe he did, psychologically damaged you know, this woman who all appearances are that this relationship seems to be going really well. Um, and, and to do that, uh, yeah, just. I mean, he's not a healthy person and I don't think he has the <laughs> emotional equipment really to, you know, to do it in a mature way. Like this is the persona yeah. he's created. And, you know, for as brave as he is, probably a bit of cowardice there. Like he can hide behind the playboy Bruce Wayne, you know, right. it's very psychologically, very interesting for sure. Um, you know, we, uh, you know, we talked about the changeover in the GCPD, of course, you know, Gordon stepping down, Aikens, Aikens coming in. Uh, we also yeah. have Harvey Bullock leave, which I think we should save that for officer down. Cause that really comes right out of officer down. Um, but yeah, uh, it's yeah. not part of it, but it, you know, it, you know, thematically, uh, you know, really yeah, uh, yeah. comes out of that. And Maggie Sawyer from the Metropolis uh, SCU uh, comes in. So that was, and again, mm. more set up for, for what would become Gotham Central. Um, so, you know, I want to, uh, you know, I want to make sure we have, you and I have time tonight to record our, our Officer Down uh, episode. But was there anything mm -hmm. else about this detective run proper? Uh, any other issues, moments, themes, like anything else uh, that, that was on your notes that we didn't get to that you wanted to make sure we talked about? Yeah, the, the the only other uh, the only other issue that I don't think we we really talked about, and and again I bring it up because not only is it a good self contained issue, but it also pushed Sasha's character forward a little bit more. Is the one called La Cusia. Oh, the last um, laugh. Where yeah, yeah, where um, where Sasha has to team up with Huntress in order to stop this woman who has sort of been jokerized, and we don't find out until the end that she was actually an undercover DEO agent who was, you know, in, in prison waiting, awaiting, yeah. her, you know, her moment to, to act. And of course the, the Joker venom seeps through the, the vents there and she's jokerized and she seems to go on this spree finding any kind of blade she can. Um, and, you know, it just seems like, your typical sort of joker plot to you know turn ordinary people into sadistic murderers but you know it ends up having a lot of heart to it because of course la Cusia in spanish is the knife the blade um and it turns out her father had been this fencer uh and so as a way to honor her father who had died she's you know she has this emotional connection to these knives and these blades but but for sasha it's you know she's told specifically by Batman not to leave the cave. This is not your job. I'm not putting you in harm's way in this. And she disobeys. And we've seen this before from members of the Bat family. You know, he's told plenty of Robins and things, to, you know, this one's too dangerous, stay back. But, you know, she goes out there and, you know, it could have gone wrong, but she ultimately, I think, ends up, uh, you know, with a positive outcome. But it comes back to bite her later because Bruce does not let this go, uh, you know, unattended. Um, and so it puts a little bit of some, some of that tension into their relationship, which I liked. But it gave her somebody, all, somebody else to play off of in Huntress. And I really enjoyed the, the, the little interplay there. 
Yeah, you know, it was interesting, like another No Man's Land follow-up, because uh, Huntress was shot during No Man's Land, and she mentions right. that, right? And that's why she's, like, really gung-ho to stop this Jokerized uh, villain. Uh, do you remember the Last Laugh miniseries? I mean, the, you know, I, I mean, the basic premise, right, is, like, Joker Jokerizes all these villains across the DC universe, right, and so every right. DC book that month had a Jokerized villain. So, again, very gimmicky, but, uh, again, certain, certain you know, uh, stories, I think, made better, better use of it. Um, so and this he, was part of that? This was part of that. This was part of the last laugh. Okay, I didn't even realize. Okay. Yeah. Well, I guess that's a testament to the story then, right? That, you know, and and certainly like with a lot of these types of DC events, it's like <clears throat> you didn't need to read all of them, right? It was just like there was the main miniseries and then like each each book had a tie-in and, uh, you know, some more so than others, some more effective than others. But I think overall, yeah, this was a solid one. And mm-hmm. um, and yeah, I think Huntress was really interesting to to pair her up with. And, you know, Huntress says like he'll you know, eventually get you, you know, he'll either get sick of you or kick you out or get you killed or something like that. (laughs) And, you know, she's been on the outs with the Bat family. So she knows, (laughs) you know, she knows what she's talking about. Uh, But like to your point about the the tension, because I think it is in the next issue, right, where Batman chastises, Bruce chastises her for leaving. Mm -hmm. And she's like, well, you know, I I saved lives. Like, isn't that what we're supposed to do? Because like Huntress was ready to put this villain down permanently right, right, and had it not been for Sasha's intervention that probably would have happened and you know and like you said it ended up being an undercover DEO agent so you know she really did good <laughs> you know she did good and she did well uh and so yeah that definitely led to um I thought uh you know again some natural and organic tension with with her and Bruce yeah, and to hear you tell me that this was part of a sort of line-wide, uh, you know, uh, initiative uh, makes me appreciate it even more because, you know, a lesser writer, I think, would have, you know, found a, a clunkier, more awkward way to, all right, I got to jokerize somebody. So, uh, you know, and it would have felt like a departure from the main run. But the fact that he was able to use this as an opportunity to, um, you know, to bring Huntress in to further Sasha's character and to make it a plot point that Bruce would, would then, you know address later i think i mean that's you know that what more can you ask for from uh you know an ongoing you know writer of serialized fiction i just uh, and again you know to, to sort of bring it back to the to the macro i i have such tremendous respect for rucka as as a writer and i've read a lot of his his other work whether it's creator own some of his dc stuff and I, I consider it a personal failure that I hadn't read this run <laughs> earlier than this, but getting to experience it here, I mean, you really are, you seeing the master at work. Um, even if not every single moment of every issue hits as, as strongly as, as some others, to, to read it as a whole is to watch a man with a plan and a vision and to be able to execute that. And to be able to, of course, with the help of editors, I'm sure, you know, create a visual style that's going to unify the, the stories that he himself has unified as, as narratives. Um, I, I really appreciate everything that, that, that was done on these. I, I'm so happy to add these two tomes to, to my collection. These are not, uh, not ones that I will soon be getting rid of. Um, yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. Thank you again for, for giving me the opportunity to read them. Good. No, that's my pleasure. I'm so happy that you wanted to do this. And, uh, that's really all wonderful to hear. And I, I echo all of it. And, you know, I, I hope this goes without saying, you know, anything that we talk about in any of these episodes, I think is worth 
reading, you know, even some of the more controversial picks that <laughs> that I've made or, or might make. I mean, I think, you know, I wouldn't be doing these episodes if I didn't think there was some value there. You know, that being said, you know, I have an episode coming up down the line on Batman Hush, right? I think most comic book fans have probably read Batman Hush. Um, but with something like this, you know, my hope is that this is an opportunity, you know, I'm sure there are people, you know, listening or watching, you know, to, to what we just did who, who haven't read it. And, and hopefully now, uh, you know, this maybe makes them interested to check it out because, you know, not that it's, you know, was so under the radar. I mean, this was detective comics for a couple of years, but at the same time, you know, I don't know that, you know, it, it's mentioned with the same, you know, frequency necessarily that, uh, that maybe some of other Rucka's other work or other bat stories. So, um, yeah, I mean, these, these two trade paperbacks worth of stories, uh, you know, I really do recommend to anyone, especially if you, if you haven't checked them out, there's some really good stuff. Scott, thank you very much Same. for joining me uh, for this episode of My Comic Shop Book Club. Thank you for having me. You and I are going to do an episode of Extra Credit, the Patreon-exclusive uh, companion show. We're going to talk about Officer Down, so I hope everyone will uh, come on over and uh, check that out. And, of course, My Comic Shop Book Club will be back with an all-new episode in two weeks. And until then, remember, they're all imaginary stories. My Comic Shop Book Club is a Flat Squirrel production. Art by Kristen San Gregorio, music by Basic Printer. If you like what you heard, be sure to check out my other podcasts, Digging for Kryptonite and My Comic Shop History. Sign up for exclusive content, including the official book club companion podcast at patreon.com slash anthonydesiato and watch my documentary film, My Comic Shop Country, out now on Apple TV and Amazon.